Okay, I need you to open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah is just before. If you find Psalms, go back to the left. You'll find Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So go back there and find Nehemiah. Chapter 4. I'll talk to you about building a better priesthood. Did you know the gospel makes every Christian a priest under God? Now, somebody needs to tell the Catholic Church that. Because the gospel elevated the Christian to that of a priest. We're going to talk about it this morning. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to hear a description of Jerusalem at the day. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall. Remember, we're, we're back in Nehemiah here. And I've enjoyed last month's long emphasis on the gospel and on missions work. We got to talk to some of our missionaries. We got to be a blessing to them. But I also enjoy the rich truths that are found in the book of Nehemiah. That's what we've been studying all year long. Now, there was a huge building project going on. They were building the wall. These walls had been broken down and uh, burnt and uh, just destroyed. And the gates were all open. There was Anybody could just walk in, uh, cause a ruckus, cause a riot, uh, rob, steal, kill, maim, and walk back out of the city. There was no protection. You know, that's how life is today, too, without protection. Without having certain convictions about certain things, walls that we put up and say, I'm not going there, and I'm not letting that in my home. I'm not letting that into my head, into my thought process. Without those walls, we're ruined. And you'll see that in a little bit here. <clears throat> now, uh, the, the walls were slowly being rebuilt. And it said there in verse 1, he says he was wroth. Keep going to verse 1. And he, this guy, he Ballot, he took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren and the army of, the Samaria, of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Are they going to finish this all in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps? Get the picture. Heaps of rubbish which are burned. Now, the, the, the Jewish people were in the city, and there weren't a lot of them, but there were... Uh, a couple of thousand who were working on this three-kilometer-long wall, and they were, they were uh, doing their best to build something. Now, I want to say this. It's amazing when you read in the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, absolutely everything in the Old Testament is a shadow, a picture of something in the New. Even rocks. <laughs> so each stone that the people gathered from the rubble was a picture of us. How could that be? All right. Uh, they're little pictures of Christians. Now, I know, I know you may not think it, but I, I'm going to show you in just a second. This, is, this was what the kind of rubble looked like, because we're not talking about uh, new stones and, and perfect fitting stones. We're just talking piles and piles and piles of broken rocks. And each of those stones that were gathered from that rubble were made into a wall again. Now, where did they come from? I want you to get in your mind three questions that we're going to then ask again and apply to us. Number one, they were not new stones. They were the broken, burnt, cast down, trampled on, dusty, long unused stones that were just littering the ground. 
Where'd they come from? They came from heaps and piles of rubbish. That's where those stones came from. That had filled the cities of Jerusalem for 160 years. And it was from all that rubble, get this thought, that Nehemiah and his small group rebuilt a wall that would endure 500 more years. That's an accomplishment. Now, what was the purpose of those stones? Not for decoration. Now, you know, when we, when we buy stones, we do it to make a patio, you know, uh, so it looks nice. So we build a wall so it looks nice. Uh, uh, we, we, we buy stones, we place it around our garden, and, and it looks nice. But these stones were for a defense. They were going to become walls and supports and towers. Even though the stones were small, when they were placed together with all the other stones, they became part of something very big and very important. Now, fitting together, they became one massive in circulation around the, the city of Jerusalem, three kilometers long, 21 feet thick, 15 feet high. This was an amazing accomplishment. It's a lot of rocks. <laughs> now, how did they all fit together? You got to think about it. The stones didn't have one size of rocks. If you remember my picture, lots of rocks, different sizes. As a matter of fact, there were an infinite number of shapes and sizes to work with. And I have an appreciation for a stone worker. You ever seen these, these people with a dying trade? It is, it is alongside of the road, you'll see somebody building a stone wall and they have this pile of rocks and they are carefully piecing that stone wall together. You ever seen that? It's a beautiful piece of work. They're not just throwing it up there like I would do. They're making something that's gonna last and something that is really beautiful. So they're fitting things together that are different shapes and different sizes, some smooth, some jagged. I mean, I went and I picked up two rocks here you know, this one, this one's almost perfect. It's shaped, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, um, uh, it's predictable. You can buy these by the thousands and they're all the right shape, the right size, a little heavy. And then you go and you pick up some others and they're kind of rugged, jagged. But you know, you can't always choose what you're going to work with. And so these, uh, uh, these Jews, as they're rebuilding that wall, they're picking up every piece and some are, are um, you know, uh, rough and, and, and sharp. Other ones are smooth and nice. But guess what? They're rocks. And that's what they've got to work with. And they fit them together. And they built that wall. Sometimes uh, you, put mat you put rocks together and you lay them together and they all fit perfectly. Others sometimes have to be broken and shaped and made to fit. <laughs> you know... Um, where do people come from that God uses in his kingdom? You know, uh, God doesn't use new people. You know what he uses? Old, broken down, messed up, dirty old people. Amen. He takes us from the pile of the world and takes us from, a, from, the, uh, from the back alley and from the disco back door and uh, uh, where we've been throwing up for the last 20 minutes. He, he takes us from from uh, depression, he takes us from discouragement and, and debt and um, uh, problems. That's where he picks us up, folks. He doesn't find, find perfect people and make a church out of them, does he? They don't exist. It's from the heaps of piles of rubbish in this world that Jesus Christ reaches in and, and changes. Listen to Mark chapter 2, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, Many publicans and sinners 
sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many publicans and sinners, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It was from all our rubble that Jesus rebuilds broken lives that can last forever. What's our purpose? It's not for decoration. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you get saved, you have a better life. Really? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Christ didn't save me to have a happy life, have a better life, to have a more wealthy life, to have a, a more fulfilling life. It will be fulfilling, but not like you think. Jesus Christ saved me for a purpose, and He gave me that purpose that'll last forever, and He gave me a joy that comes whether I'm stuck in the middle with a whole bunch of other dumb rocks, <laughs> or whether I'm out shining on the top. It doesn't matter. I have a purpose. I get to become part of something very big and very important called the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus builds a lot of people into that kingdom, uses a lot of rocks. How do we fit together? Just like those, I think it's miraculous that you can fit. I, I'm looking at these two rocks. I mean, I, I, ought to, I ought to throw it to somebody and let somebody try to catch it. This thing probably weighs 25, 20 pounds at least. And this stone, how would you lay those two stones together? I couldn't put them together. You figure out how to, wall, how to build a wall with those two rocks. It takes a miracle for God to put two of us together and make something good out of it. Amen? And yet God does. Yet God does. So when you're sitting at church and the pastor's hammering away and chipping away at your idol or your pride or your uh, uh, pet sin, it's because God's trying to fit you together in something beautiful. So don't get mad at me. God's trying to fit us together. Amen. Now that's just, that's free. That's just, the, I'm not even in the intro yet. Amen. Let me get into the, I've just finished the intro. Let me get to the background here. Oh, I need to go one other place. Ephesians chapter 2, where the New Testament describes this. Ephesians now, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Speaking to Christians, Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the what? Oh, I could never be a saint. Well, you know, if you're saved, you are. And you're a fellow citizen with all the saints throughout history. We're fellow citizens with the saints. You know what do you good is to just believe your Bible. And the household of who? And are built upon the foundation. Listen to these words. Built. Household. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner. What's the next word? Here we're talking about masonry. Talking about rocks. In whom all the building. That's us. All the building, fitly framed together, that's put together, right? Groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God through the Spirit. Uh, that's Christ's temple, and we'll talk about that next week. But by way of background, I've got to start off and, and back up here, because when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Ye are a holy priesthood. I'm going to talk about the priesthood of the believer this morning. So we need to pray.
Father, help me be a blessing and an encouragement and a help to so many people. I do not know the needs. I don't know where everybody's coming from. And I'm worried there are some people who don't know where they're going. I know the devil means to only kill and destroy and steal. You mean to give life. So this morning, I pray you breathe life into this service, into the preaching of your word, into the hearing of it, God. I pray you to elevate your people from that of something that's just been trodden underfoot for the last decade of their life. And I pray that they would realize you aim to do something with them. But it takes them finally surrendering to your builder's hand, your carpenter's hand, and to make something absolutely marvelous out of any kind of life, if we would yield. So bless the preaching this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you know it or not, but God is holy and we are not. That ought to be first class in anybody's concept God is holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it describes a place called heaven. And it says, up in heaven there's a throne. And in the center of the throne is God Almighty. And there are four angels around that throne. And they are so close to God Almighty. Do you know what they're crying out? Hey, just see Arsenal play last night? You know what they're crying out? 24 hours a day? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, until you get the idea He's holy and we're not, we can't go to the next stage. Because we got this idea is we're not so bad. We're not that bad. You know? I, you know, if I can't get in the front door, I'll get in the back door. Your Christian growth is stunted by your view of God, Christian. I'm telling you, 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 you elevate Him, you'll find yourself on the ground crying out, have mercy on me, I don't deserve to be here. Do you know, uh, most every person, even Christians in this room, really think they're not that bad. And that's just pure ignorant pride in yourself. Some people think, well, I'm worse than everybody else. You are also deceived. There's nobody better than anybody else. They may look better. They may be able to talk better, but if you knew their secret thoughts, you'd run from them like a, like a rabbit. There is nothing good in us until Jesus Christ comes in and washes us and makes us clean. Amen. Somebody once said this, we're worse than bad. <laughs> and we know it. We just don't admit it. Now, the truth is this. Mankind has always needed mediation. You ever got in an argument and you need somebody to come between you? And God called it a priesthood that would stand for us before God. Now, a priesthood is a cast of people that intercede for sinners, that mediate for sinful people. They represent sinful, fallen people before a holy and righteous and perfect judge. We call those guys defense attorneys now. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, it was a priest system. So don't be mocking the Old Testament saying, oh, what an archaic system. It was a good system. Because the priests were to be lawyers who defended people who were a mess. Shame that when Jesus came along, all the Pharisees were able to do was point out problems. They never helped anybody. But that wasn't God's design of the priesthood. The priesthood was supposed to have compassion and supposed to defend the helpless. Mankind needed a priesthood that would make atonement for the people. 
pay off their sin debts before God by exchanging an innocent lamb in the place of a sinful and wicked man and woman so they can be forgiven. Men, women, boys and girls need mediation. Now, God designed the Jewish priesthood, but I want you to understand this. He was flawed on purpose. See, God doesn't make everything perfect. Sometimes he creates it with a flaw on purpose. And he did that so that later on he would bring in a better priesthood. So they'd get tired of the first one and they'd want the second one. I'll talk about that in a moment. Do you know, everybody throughout history, from Adam on, has figured out there's no way to access God except through an exchange, what we call a sacrifice of the innocent taking the place of the guilty. Even in the Garden of Eden, God said, the day that you eat thereof, the day that you disobey me, and you eat of that tree, ye shall surely what? So what were they going to do that very day? They are going to drop dead and die. So God brought out of the bushes, brought out two rather large one-year-old lambs, and they both laid down and died. And then God took their coats of skin and says, now wear these and never forget where they came from. And that substitution allowed them to go on and live. And so if you're ever going to now as a sinner ever have any relationship with God, you're going to need some sort of mediation, some sort of sacrifice. And handling of that uh, substitution was only going to be done by Old Testament Jewish priests because it had to be done right. You couldn't just bring in the old lamb. You couldn't just bring a, well, you know, I'll bring an apple pie. You know? uh, it had to be done precisely or else it didn't count. And so they had a priesthood. You have a whole book there called Leviticus, which is for the Levites, which is for how the sacrifices were supposed to be carried out. It was all built around a man named Aaron, which was the older brother of Moses. Remember Moses and Aaron going up before Pharaoh? Well, Aaron became a high priest. And the priest had a pretty good life. Think about their life. They got to go and get very close to the presence of God. The priest got to constantly see answered prayers and all the goodnesses of God. The, the people would come and they would pray around the tabernacle or later on pray around the temple, and they would go home and the priest got to see the answers to those prayers. They got to worship and praise God for His goodness and His constant forgiveness. They were well taken care of. They didn't have to work at anything except helping other people get right with God. That was their job. But priests were only people. Priests were only people. They were never perfect. And you know, Catholic Ireland should have learned that 50 years ago. People we elevate and make up in the front and we trust with spiritual things aren't perfect. You better have a priesthood that's better. We're going to talk about it. Hebrews 9, 7 says, Into the second veil went the high priest alone every, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself first. He had to confess his own sins before he could help other people confess theirs. You know, the sacrifices that the Old Testament Jew brought was never enough. You constantly had to, oh, I forgot that. You I mean, you think Catholicism is bad. You try to be a good God-fearing Jew, you are constantly remembering sins, constantly confessing sins, constantly bringing sacrifices, constantly trying to keep up with all of your sin debt to God. And the priests themselves, <laughs> they'd get going and then they would die, and they had to be replaced. It was a constant process. It was never perfect, but it was designed that way. So a better one would come along. You see, in the end, now here's, here's the high priest and a priest and a Levite, uh, this whole system looks so archaic to us, but it was marvelous because it was a, it was a 
shadow. It was an illustration of something that's going to be in the future. So in the end, God replaced the priesthood with a better one. Go to Hebrews chapter 7 now. You're in Ephesians. Go to the right. Find Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 11, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical what? Okay, stay with me, come on. If you could get perfected by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order, not of Aaron, but of a guy named Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there was there is made of necessity a change also of the law. What are we talking about? We're talking about God replacing the old priesthood with a better one. So next time you see somebody on with his collar on backwards, you need to tell him he's fired. He's not needed. You don't need to, need to confess your sins to him. You don't need him to try and make atonement for you. You don't need him to pray for you in order for you to get closer to God. He's done away with, folks. That old system doesn't work anymore. As a matter of fact, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4. I'm sorry, I want to actually take you one other place here. You're in Hebrews. Go back to chapter 7, verse 19. I thought I read it, but I didn't. Hebrews 7, 19, it says, For the law made how, much, how many things perfect? So next time somebody says, Well, I'm trying to keep the law, look at them, you will fail. It will not help you. All the law is is an x-ray machine. It will only tell you where you're broken or where you're messed up. So the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we now draw nigh unto God. Jump down to, where am I going? I didn't look. Verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety or a guarantor of a better testament. They truly were many priests all throughout history because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They constantly died. But this man, Jesus, because he continueth how long? Ever, forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save you. Save me. Save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Jesus seeing he now liveth, ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us, or was fitting to us, was just what we needed, because he is what? Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did how often? when he offered up himself. So how many times does Jesus have to die for the world to be forgiven? How many, how long do people think that they have to continue the sacrifice for people to be forgiven? They don't. He offered up himself once for all. I love the Bible. Go to chapter 10 and verse 4. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 and verse 4. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore then, when he cometh into the world, Jesus, he saith, sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not. That's not what you wanted, God, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come now. Instead of a lamb, I come as the lamb, Jesus says. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. And above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And he taketh away the what? That's that first priesthood. That he may establish the second now. By the which will, by his will, we are now clean, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? You ought to underline those words. Show it to somebody. Once for all. Now here's great. Verse 10 is, is hilarious to me because I've showed this to at least 13 Roman Catholic priests and they just look at it. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can, say it with me, never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered, talking about Jesus, one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he's perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know, God... Uh, God replaced the priesthood with a better one, and I like the better one, don't you? But he did more than just that. He actually, he actually uh, I don't know why it's not up here, but I'll say it here. He did one other marvelous thing. He replaced all the Jewish priests with us, with every believer. Go to 1 Peter 2 now. You're in Hebrews. Go to the right. 1 Peter 2, our memory verse. 1 Peter 2, 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 2 in verse 5. Speaking not to the Jews, but to believers, to all Christians everywhere. We're reading it here, out in the back of beyond, up in Balancholic Cork, Ireland, 3,500 miles away from Jerusalem. And here we are reading, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy what? Say it with me again, a holy so that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So the truth is this. Salvation moves us up, amen? Replacing all priests. You don't like middlemen, don't you? I mean, that's where Amazon is making all its money because they took away the shops that you go to. Uh, here's a shop owner. That shop owner goes down there and buys some products, increases the price and sells them for a profit and then goes on holiday five times a year. And you go, I hate the middlemen. Get rid of the middlemen. I'm going straight to Amazon. And so Amazon makes a trillion euros. Middlemen. Well, there's been a religious set of middlemen. They're called priests in the priesthood. And what God did was he put you there, not so that you could lord over anybody, but so that you could be close to God. So let me say this. Let's look, let's look at this better priesthood so we can be better at it. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2 is a great discussion on the priesthood of the believer. And um, I'm just going to take you through it and hope that it whets your appetite because next week we're going to talk about the, the, the New Testament temple. 
and um, which is the life of the believer and, and, and Christianity and uh, how important it is to keep it clean. So I've got to give you a good idea of just how responsible God has made us, and we've got to be responsible for who we are. You know, uh, you adopt a kid into your home, and you try to tell them, you're now in our home, you're now one of our children, and it's a great privilege, but we've got to take it seriously. And since I've been born into the family of God, into the household of God, I'm part of something bigger than myself. I'm part of a, of a, of, of a kingdom. So let's look at this. First of all, look back in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, start in verse 4. Peter describes Jesus as a foundation stone. We'll just read 4 to 8, and he says, To whom coming? When you come to Jesus Christ, you're coming as unto a living stone. There was a famous missionary years ago called David Livingstone. I'd love to have. There's two missionary names I think are some of the best names. A guy named Livingstone, another guy named Jonathan Goforth. <laughs> so how did he get that name? That is so cool. All right, but anyway. <laughs> well, Livingstone comes... Right from this Bible, verse 4 says, To whom coming is unto a living stone, disavowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now we see verse 5, He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, unholy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, not be ashamed, not be disappointed. Unto you, therefore, which believe, guess what he is? You know, I can tell if somebody's saved when I start talking about Jesus and they want to change the channel. Unto you, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made, the very head of the corner. He's also, verse 8, a stone of Rock of offense. Boy, isn't everybody offended at everything today? I mean, I hate this cereal. Uh, uh, this, this, is, this is 2% milk. <laughs> everything offends us. Well, I'll tell you what, there's one person you better not be offended by. His name is Jesus Christ. A rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word. Some of you are like, why is he talking about this? What is this all about? You're stumbling at the word. That tells me you need to be born again. Those of us who get into this Bible, it doesn't make sense till we start believing. And all of a sudden, the light comes on, and we go, wow, it's true. Watch it. Stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, which should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness and into his light, marvelous light. I've got four hours worth of stuff to teach you. I'm going to do it in 20 minutes and maybe 30 and we'll be done. Peter describes Jesus as a rock. And, and it's a perfect, massive rock. Now, Nita and I were down in Spain one time, and she's looking out. It was really funny because you don't, you don't sense we were on the, on the shoreline there. And we looked down south, and she saw this kind of a shadowy stone. She said, hmm, why don't we walk down to that big rock down there? Remember that? I said, sweetheart, it would take us a month of Sundays to get down there. That's probably about 40 miles away. She is not. I said, that is the rock of Gibraltar, girl. We're way up like 40, 50 miles up north of that thing. We ain't walking. <laughs> but it looked like, I mean, it was so big, it looked like it was just down the road. You understand what I'm saying? 
And when it says that he is a living stone, he's referring to a rock that is massive. It is a, it is a rock that is a crushing rock. As a matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream one time where all these kingdoms rise up and he's the head, he's the golden head, he's the most awesome, and is built on silver and on brass and on iron. And he says, wow, kingdoms. And a stone comes out of heaven and smashes them all to bits. A rock. And that rock is Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, a little baby. When did that happen? Christmas. Unto us a son is given. You ever read the, last, the next verse? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. When's the last time you wanted to put in charge of the government a baby? But you can put Jesus in charge of anything from birth. As a matter of fact, when the Magi, when the wise men came to Jesus, what did they say? He was already. Where is he that is king, born of the Jews? We want to see the king, amen? He was just newly born. So this massive rock that Peter refers to is just how great Jesus is. Do you know, you can lay on him all your anxieties and all your cares and won't break him. You start telling me all your troubles and I start crying with you. <laughs> I mean, honestly, man, crumbles me. Uh, uh, send me into a hospital and I see somebody all beat up. I just, man, I'm empathetic, man. I can't look. I can't look. But Jesus Christ can take any pain, any agony, any heartache, any, any defeat, any brokenness, and he'll hold you like a rock. He's a rock, folks. You can build your life on him. Jesus gave the parable of a person who built his house on rock. Another man who built his house on sand. They're both beautiful houses. But the rain came and only one of them stayed standing. Which one of is it? The one built upon the rock. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a massive stone. And uh, uh, Dan, Dan and Kathy have this picture in their kitchen there. And uh, it's uh, off of France, isn't it? Where is that thing? That's right. That's right. There's a, anyway, the tide and storms come in there. This is a lighthouse. And uh, the storms, storms blow 30, 40, I don't know how tall the, the, the waves come in, massive waves slamming against that lighthouse. This, we, I would call him an Egypt. <laughs> would you agree? He's standing out there, there's a helicopter, he says, hey guys, hey, you want to stop in for a cup of tea? <laughs> and that water's about to sweep him away. <laughs> but you know where he is? He's safe. Because that rock will hold him. Amen. It's built and founded on a rock. That lighthouse was built to weather the storms. Jesus Christ not only is a massive stone, he's a perfect stone. He's already built. You know, you don't, how many have ever prayed? Can I embarrass you for a minute? Do you ever go to the Lord? Lord, you know, my job's not working out so well. And Lord, I don't know if you realize it, but my boss is a nutcase. Lord, I'm just going through this thing, and I don't know how, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to tell him what he already knows. Lord, I don't know if you understand or whether you even are paying attention, but I'm going through a hard time down here. You ever prayed that? Let me tell you, he's perfect. You don't have to explain anything to him. You can just start asking for whatever you need. He is, when, G, when Peter describes him as a stone, he's not talking about just some dirty old rock. When I got these rocks out of the garden, I had to wash them and uh, 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 make them presentable. But when Jesus, when you come to Jesus Christ, He is perfect. Uh, you come to my house at, uh, 
11 o'clock at night, I may have to get dressed, amen? I may have to be presentable, comb my hair. Um, uh, you know, you phone at 3 in the morning, I may not talk intelligibly. <laughs> but when you talk to Jesus Christ, He is ready for you, amen? He's perfect. He is the chief cornerstone. Now, we don't really, I mean, all, we got some builders in here, and they kind of, well, cornerstone, not a big deal anymore. But before, they had all of these lasers and, and um, uh, fancy ways, satellite imaging and digital imaging. They had cornerstones. And you would go and you'd level off a field, and you'd have a perfectly cut cornerstone to size that you would place on the corner of your building. And then from those 90-degree angles, you would build and you would shape an entire edifice. And that cornerstone defined how the walls are going to be laid out. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of any life. You want to know how to turn out right? Follow him. Because he knows what angles and what turns to make in your life. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the elect stone. You see that word? It says, uh, verse 6, it says, wherefore it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect. Uh, a lot of people get hung up on election and predestination. Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is the only election you got to worry about. He was chosen to save you. Amen. Nobody just said, you know, I think I'll go save the world. My name is Superman. Not at all. No. Jesus Christ was precisely chosen by God to save us. He's precious to God. You know, when God let His Son die, it killed Him. This was, this was not easy for, Christ, for God to do any more than it be for you to let your own Son die for somebody else. And yet, because, because the Son of God was precious to God the Father. Precious. But folks, I want you to understand, He is the rock, not Peter. Did you know from a rock, God made water flow for two, million, for two million people out in the wilderness? From a rock. Do you know in a crevice of a rock, Moses found safety when a storm passed by? He says, you'll find safety in the cleft of the rock when I pass by, God said. That rock was Christ. God formed the nation of Israel from the rock of himself. Deuteronomy 32, 18 says, of the rock that begat thee, Israel, thou art unmindful. You're not even thinking about it. And hast forgotten God that formed thee. God like a rock. Um, like a solid fortress. 2 Samuel 22, David writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In Him will I trust. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my Savior. Amen. Amen. We talk about, and we were singing a. Uh, it's two or three times in our, the hymns this morning about the rock, the symbolism there. Now, to the believer, did you notice that Jesus is precious as well? I uh, Like there, verse, um, verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe, He's precious. How many love His name? You know, uh, Ruth's getting ready to, well, she's already, Ruth and John are figuring the names of their kids uh, uh, along the way, and They've got some ideas for the name for the next one. And um, uh, different people are trying to figure it out. But there's one name that you cannot debate about. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't choose that name. Well, you know, I'd rather this. Well, there's one name that's precious and can never be changed, and that's the name of Jesus. It is precious. Precious to the believer. I hope you love to spend time with him just in prayer. 
I hope you gladly bow in reverence just at the mention of that name. You know, people, people used to have an honor uh, uh, about them and had a, uh, a softness about them. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now I don't want if everybody, somebody tell me, says Jesus, and you start bowing there. I mean, nobody knows what you're doing. But there's that spirit of, you know what? That's a precious. That's a name you shouldn't just throw around. You know what? I gladly give up a whole day just to worship that name. It's called Sunday. Because his name is precious. Don't answer that. <laughs> Belly. <laughs> to the disobedient, speaking of Bill, <laughs> I said turn it off and you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a conspiracy. No, anyway. But to the disobedient, did you notice there? To the disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, they rejected. You know, Jesus is never going to be popular. He is never going to have his own show on TV. <laughs> the Jesus Hour. <laughs> Not going to happen. Uh, he's, he's disallowed. He's a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. I mean, that's what you get when you talk about our rock. Not only that, you start showing them Bible scriptures and they start saying, oh yeah, well I tried reading the Bible and I got to Genesis chapter 4 and I gave up. <laughs> and everything about Christianity to people, and it was the same for me. Don't you think for a minute that I was born into Christianity. You have to be born again. And at 16, uh, if anybody tried to show me the Bible, I would have just said, it's just written by people. It's all a bunch of contradictions. I didn't know what I was talking about, but that's what I thought. But at 17, when somebody asked me where was I going when I died, all of a sudden my attention got piqued. And she invited me to come to church and let me listen to somebody take me through the scriptures and show me how true they are and how perfect they are and how they don't contradict and that all the, people, all the things that people say are fake media. Amen. And I found out I had been stumbling at one person. I wasn't stumbling just at, at you know, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. I was stumbling at Jesus Christ. I didn't want anybody to tell me I was lost. I didn't want anybody telling me that I needed a Savior. I'm glad somebody told me anyway. Disobedient. I have to ask you this. How do you see Jesus? You better think through how you see Jesus and how you treat Him. Because as far as I can tell, He's the only Savior. You miss him, you have no hope. Now, believers, he goes on. Now, let's go back to verse 5. And Peter throws out this thing that's absolutely breathtaking. Believers are lively stones. Now, I asked, uh, uh, look at chapter 2, verse 5 again. It says, ye also is lively stones. And I said to Dennis, yesterday I was at his house, and he's got a little dog named Monty. How old is Monty? Dennis? How old is Monty? How old is Monty? Is he about a year? Or is he six years old? Well, this dog acts like he's a year old. You see, I've seen some living dogs, but Monty's a lively dog. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I've seen some living Christians, but I can tell when somebody's alive. And I mean they're lively. And the Bible calls us something here wonderful. 
He calls us stones, little stones, yes. We're not like the big rocks. But if you know anything about the Old Testament, Aaron was the high priest. And as the high priest, all of his descendants were now priests. They were related to him by genetics. In comes Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our rock and our high priest. Guess what I is? I'm a little stone. I'm of his family. And everything that he offers, I got by the new birth. And now I, he's the high priest. I'm a priest, just like the descendants of Aaron were priests because he was a high priest. I am a stone. Now that's why Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, uh, Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. He doesn't call him a rock, he calls him a pebble. Peter means pebble. Peter means a small stone. Jesus being the rock of Gibraltar. And I'm related by the new birth to a rock. Now normally stones are dead. Okay, There's no life into them. But we're supposed to be like this living stone, very much alive. So what do you like? Um, get to my point. What are you like? Are you dead? Are you apathetic? Are you numb? Are you bored? Not interested? Distracted? Looking at your phone? Waiting for somebody to call? Not listening to your preacher? <laughs> They're foreigners. <laughs> well, if you had turned off your phone, they would not be able to bother you. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> are you up and down by the hour and by the day? Folks, let me tell you, I mean, if I found you, if I found you on the ground and, and, and you're not moving, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to check your pulse. Amen? Before we bury you, <laughs> we got to check your pulse. And there are a lot of Christians, I'm wondering, have you checked your pulse lately? I mean, we sing, we come to church, and we don't have any life. Doesn't that embarrass you? Now, we don't swing from the chandeliers. We don't, we don't go crazy. But let me tell you this, we ought to be lively. Amen? I mean, our joy, when we had the opportunity to go soul winning, we ought to be saying, let's go get him. There was a guy, uh, his name was Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. And Polycarp was put into the lion's den to be made fun of and watched slaughtered by the lions. He was 92, 93 years old. Polycarp, in that, in that Colosseum there, if you can just imagine with your mind's eye, there was a small group of uh, Christians who were, who were gathered in the center of that field. There were 20,000 people all saying, Bring out the lions! Bring out the lions! For entertainment. Polycarp saw those Christians in the middle there, and those Christians got, up, got to weeping and crying. They were about to die. And Polycarp walked right over and said, Start singing. <laughs> and then he walked right over to one of those cages where the lions were, and he says, Come on out! Come on out! Amen! 92 years old, and he's more alive than most of you have ever been. Amen. Lively. What are you like? If you're saved, I mean, I mean, saved from your sins, saved from the wrath to come. If the love of Jesus Christ has reached you, then you ought to be excited. Amen. You ought to be. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have tears and that you shouldn't be just broke and beat up by the world. It's going to happen. Boy, you get into church, you get into the Bible, you're, you're, you ought to just like, Wow, yes, that's good. That's lively. Anybody can tell, hold on there, anybody can tell who are the lively stones and who are the dead ones. Now he goes on there and he says, you're a, 
You're a building. 2.5 says, you also as living of lively stones are built up a spiritual house. And the spiritual house is unique. Go to Philippians. I'll show you. Hold your place here. Go to Philippians. Back a few pages to Philippians chapter 1. My current life verse. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, Jesus, which has begun a good work in you, a good work, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ when he comes back for you. Do you know we're a spiritual building progress, building project in progress? Now that's the shape of a what? But what's it built out of? You might see close enough, or you're all blind like I am. Is people. It's people. And so the Lord takes a group of people from all kinds of different nationalities, cultures, likes and dislikes, opinions, and puts them together and builds something wonderful. Builds something, and He, he works on us and fits us together. Um, and He makes a building. He makes a church. And there are three things that this is not. Okay? Ready? Number one, it's not of this world. So what we're doing right now, anybody else coming in here, never been to church, never been in the kind of church like this where just the Bible's preached and somebody talks to you straight up, and sitting here, they go, what a bunch of wackos. This is not even, this is from another world. Amen? Kingdom of the, God, the kingdom of God is separate than the kingdom of this world. The, the, the church is not of this world. We don't, we don't do what everybody else does. You ever think about that? I hope none of you came home last night, 11 o'clock, from the pub. Because we don't do that. We live different. We're at home. We're boring, amen, <laughs> compared to the rest of the world. Our life is not like this world. I don't need a, a drink in the hand and a drug in a bottle for me to have a good time. We're not part of the kingdom of this world. Second thing this building is, it's not finished yet. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you glad it's not just us four and no more? Kingdom's being built. Always building. Always new people getting saved. And it's not to be neglected. Folks, God's work is the most important building project going on in history. You, will either, you are either being built this morning or you're being torn apart. You choose. So what we are now, we're a holy priesthood. Look back there and we'll finish up with these thoughts here. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You also, being part of this spiritual house, part of the lively stones that build this house, you're built up a spiritual house, a holy what? All right, stop on that and go down to verse 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal, what's the word? All right, let's talk about being a priest. This is the message. What does he say that means? We're specially chosen by God. You're not chosen to be saved. But from the family of God, God says, I need you to be a priest, and I need you to be a priest, and I need you to be a priest, and I need you to be. We are, but you see, it's, it's that nobody just says, I think I'll do this, I think I'll do that. You don't do that. God chose us all. 
Jesus looked out at his disciples and he said, Folks, don't be calling each other rabbi, master, and doctor, and sir, sir, uh, incredible. And No, you have one master, Jesus. And ye are all brethren. You're just family. Amen. But this family's been elevated up to the point where a priest. We are specially chosen by God. Secondly, we are royalty before God. What a thought. Listen to Revelation chapter 1. And he hath made us kings, made us, kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Romans 5.10 says, he's made us under our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, you know, I tried that with my wife. I says, you're talking to King Craig. She said, go sweep the floor. But a Christian is in a place of, I'm a, I have royal blood in me now. It's the blood of Jesus Christ poured all over my sins and purged. And now I walk in a new home, a new family. I'm a royal priesthood. We're not dirt anymore. We're not rubbish like the devil wants us to think. Don't you ever let the devil tell you you're no good. Now you may be acting no good. <laughs> Your mouth may be running, your mind may be sewer, but Christ made you royal. Amen. Amen. We're in the very family of the King of Kings. Amen. We even have a new nationality. Some of you have two passports. I have three. And it's not Texan. I have an American passport, I have an Irish passport, and I have a heavenly passport. My citizenship is in heaven. We have a new nationality. That's why he calls himself in verse 9, you're a, a holy nation. You're a whole new nation. We're no longer Jew or Gentiles. We're Christian. You may be Irish, German, Nigerian, Iranian, American, or whatever. But you better make sure you're Christian. And here's a big one. We're peculiar. I like that verse 9. He says, we are a holy nation of peculiar people. What does that mean? We're out of step. What a wonderful, wonderful word. We're out of step with the world. The world does this. I mean, have you ever noticed it? What was happening last Sunday? I didn't even know it till after it was over. And, you know, the whole country is going one direction. Something's going on the week before and all this stuff. And we just come to church. Other people may be worried about something going on TV. And the Christian's sitting there, I got to finish my Bible reading. Other people may be going to the beach, and you say, you know, I'd like to go to the beach. Maybe I'll go later on, but right now it's time for soul winning. We're peculiar. We're out of step, aren't we? We do things that are right. We do things that are, we're supposed to do, and we get to do the other things too, but we put a priority because we don't follow the world. We're following Christ. All for a purpose. What's the purpose of this priesthood now? Three great purposes, and I'm done. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 again. Back to the left, Hebrews chapter 10. First of all, you're a holy priesthood. It says, what, 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 what do I do, pastor? What do I do? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. It allows us to draw nigh to God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 says this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest the holiest place, by the blood of Jesus, by an old way? Are you with me in verse 20, 1020? What does it say? 
All right, what was the old way? If you wanted to get close to God, what was the old way? Through a priest, through a high priest, bringing a lamb. If you couldn't afford a lamb, you brought two turtle doves. Sometimes you had to bring, um, if you wanted to praise God, you had to bring uh, some, some cornmeal with you. Or you had to bring um, uh, some, some, your, 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 your tithes. or All of these things you had to bring to the temple or the tabernacle. And you had to go through the priesthood. We get to come through a new way. Read it again with me. Verse 20, by a new and a what way? A living way, which he, Jesus, has consecrated for us all the way through the veil, if you know anything about the Old Testament temple. That is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, since we have this high priest, Jesus, let us now draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, not in, not in doubt, having our hearts now sprinkled from an evil conscience, whatever we were messing with before, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Why can we believe so strongly? Not because we're faithful, but because He is faithful that promised. And don't forget to consider one another, to provoke one another unto good works. <sighs> no need for some middle man or middle woman no need for some infinitely complex religious system of priests and pilgrimages and religious duties and good works. Do you know I can go any time before the throne of Almighty God and get what I need? You're in chapter 10. Go back to chapter 4 and verse 16. Well, look at verse 15. 4.15, For we have not a high priest, like the Old Testament did, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, there are plenty of people who don't care. <laughs> you, ever said, you ever tried to tell somebody stuff and they just look at you and says, you know, I got to go? <laughs> well, listen, we have a high priest. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted just like you are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help whatever time of need we're at. You know, I can draw night. I can stay with him all day if I want. And I can sense and enjoy his presence with me always. You know, he promised to be with me. I don't know if he's with you, but Jesus said, I will not leave you led better, and I will not forsake you. I read it. I can, I can just stop and go, as a priest, I can say, the Lord is here. You know, some of those priests got such a blessing. There's a guy named Zechariah, uh, uh, the father of John the Baptist. He's in the, ta in the temple there. He, he's been praying for a, a, a child for years, and he's given up. And he's supposed to blow incense inside there so it just would be sweet smelling and everything. And an angel appeared and says, your prayers are here, heard, amen. <laughs> prayers are answered, and he faints. And, and he says, I don't believe it. And the Lord said, well, you will, buddy, and you ain't going to talk for the next nine months while that, that baby's cooking in the oven. And so, but he got to talk to an angel. He had, he, he was able to see the answer to prayer. As a priest, he was up there in the place where things happened. Marvelous. Draw nigh to God, folks. Don't sit there and go, well, I'll ask pastor to pray. I'll pray for you. Don't you stop praying yourself. Well, God's not answering my prayer. Well, we'll talk about that next week, okay? Just hold on to your hat. We'll talk about the struggles. But don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop coming boldly. That's a good word there, not the bad word, bold. 
but come courageously, come confidently into his presence. Say, Lord, I need this, trusting him. What's the purpose of being a priest? Allows you direct access to God through your high priest, Jesus Christ. Second great purpose. Allows you and invites you to offer gifts and sacrifices back to God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 8. Go to the right. Find Hebrews chapter 8, verse 3. Like I said, I have four hours of stuff. I'm going to stop here in three minutes. Praise God, somebody said. Hebrews 8, 3. For every high priest is ordained to offer what? Gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is necessity that this man, Jesus, have somewhat also to offer. Now, every high priest offers uh, gifts, but as a Christian, I get to offer sacrifices, not for sins. You know what I usually have to sacrifice? Self. Romans 12.1 says, remember the first word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God's been so merciful to you. Yes, he has. Well, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, because of those mercies, that you present your wallet. You present your wife. No. Get over here, woman. <laughs> that you present yourself. A living. What did I, did I do wrong? Present your bodies. That's it. Okay. Present. I mean, the bodies are a little... You know, I can present myself without, and leave my body out of it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I don't want you to die. I want you to live for them. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You have to do that almost every day. You know, being a, being a priest, I get to put myself up on the altar and say, Okay, Lord, I'm yours. Amen. I don't need to go to somebody and say, He put me up on the altar. One time there's a, a, an offering taken up for a missionary. This was long time ago. A missionary had come back from over in Asia and had just given his life and he was in poor health and the church said, let's take up an offering for this missionary. He's been faithful all these years. The missionary gave his testimony. People saved. Church has started. Mass amounts of suffering. He'd been beaten, stoned. He had health problems, so on and so forth. And people started taking up little offerings as they passed along. And one little kid there, about seven or eight years old, looked at thing. You know, sometimes they have offering plates. You know what offering plate is, you know? And he took that thing and he set it on the ground. And he just stood in it. The pastor said, uh, we need that to keep moving, sir. No, I want to go. I want to go be like that man. That's the kind of sacrifice that a priest can make. You can sacrifice yourself and say, there's people worth giving my life for. There's something bigger worth doing. And I can do that. I don't have to wait for some holy person, some uppity, high theological person. I can do it. I can sacrifice myself. Go to chapter 13, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and 15. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, by Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of complaining. Oh. You know, it's easier to complain than to praise. How many of you found that out? Let me see your hands. How many sounded to be true? It's so much easier just to find fault. Amen? Yeah. That's why, that's why praise is a sacrifice. It doesn't cost you anything to find a fault. But if you're going to praise God, let us offer the sacrifice of, pra of praise to God. How often? 
Wow, that's even another sacrifice to do it always. That is the fruit of our giving thanks to his name. When was the last time you didn't just think thank you, but you said thank you? You know what we get to do? Being a priest invites us to offer gifts and sacrifices back to God. You know, if you ever start sacrificing things out of love for God, you'll start loving people even though they step on your love, even though they treat you like dirt, because you just love Him, and you're giving it to Him. Jesus said, when you do it unto the least of these, you're doing it unto me. i got to finish. It compels us to mediate between the stubborn and the rebellious and the lost, between them and the God that they one day will face. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're through. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. It's part of the verse that uh, Brother Knickerbocker preached on last week, but it's so good I think I'd use it again. 2 Peter 5, 20. Now, he actually uses a great word here, ambassador, but the word is representative. The concept is a mediator. The doctrinal phrase is a reconciler. Look at this verse, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for who? As though God did beg us, did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. What's Paul uh, illustrating? He's saying, we're like somebody saying, come on, you can, come on, we're trying to bring you back close to God. Did you know you've got people that are, that are lost, people are unsaved, people confused, people angry at God, amen? And they need you to inter, intercede for them in prayer. They need you to engage them with conversation, to give them the gospel over and over and over again. They need a priest, amen? They need a Christian. Now, don't go wearing your collar on backwards. But take it serious what you get to do. Because you may be the only person who ever give them hope. How do we finish this? I said at the beginning, mankind has always needed some sort of mediation between us and God. Jesus is that mediator. He's our great high priest. He's that living stone upon which every person can trust. This is not, there's, there's, there's one way for some people, another way for other people. No, there's only one way. Jesus. To a lot of people, he's offensive. To me, he's precious. You know, Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, Peter says that believers are lively stones built on Jesus Christ. Believers are a spiritual building project in the works. And believers are a holy priesthood now. Wow. We are made a priest for a purpose, for a great purpose. To draw near to God, stay near. To offer up spiritual sacrifices, special and spiritual gifts and mediate between the lost and their only hope in Jesus. Christian, are you living up to what you are? You can't, you can't get this if there's sin in your heart. You're not going to enjoy being a priest if you're carrying around a burden. You're not, listen, there are two kinds of people in this room. There's the saved and the lost. There are the people who have been converted, and there are people who are faking it. There are people who... Uh, uh, don't even want to try anymore, and there are those who've given up trying, and they just trust. Which one are you? Now, I'm not saying this group over here who's saved, they got it right, they got it all perfect, but they've got Jesus Christ. Have you got Jesus Christ this morning 
in your heart. He doesn't, there's no, there's no tabernacle in this building. I know there's a thing up there we're not going to talk about. But there's, there's no place where Jesus is dwelling in this building except in the hearts of God's people. If he's not in your heart, you can invite him in this morning. If he is in your heart, he has elevated you up to the level of somebody who can be close to him and can mediate and can help and change the world with the gospel. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we love you and we need you this morning to make this message matter so that we as a spiritual building, a holy priesthood, can actually have an impact on this world and, and turn out to be ambassadors and reconcilers, soul winners to the lost. There may just be one, two, three in this room. It's not by accident. People are here this morning. Lord, I think this is, this is never an accident when people come to church. But there's somebody here in their heart of hearts is, is crying out, I don't know. I don't know where I'd go. I, I don't understand what it means to be born again. I really wish I knew God. Well, today's the day you can cry out to Him. You can ask any one of us to show you. But if you're not saved this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me pray for you. Just put your hand up, put it down. I'd like to pray for you. If you're not born again, I'm glad everybody claims to be saved, but don't you claim it and not be it. If you're not saved, let me just pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody else should be looking around. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you don't even know what it means, just put your hand up, put it down. I'd like to pray for you. All right, Christian, are you living up to that holy priesthood we found out about this morning? I bet you're not. I know I got stuff that just hinders me. and I know what I am, but I know what I need to be. You say, that message was for me, Pastor. Pray with me that we live up to our calling. Would you put your hand up and say, pray for me, Pastor. Anybody else? I got several. Anybody else? Get in on this prayer. Amen. Father, we do pray, especially for those who raise their hand. We take it serious. It's lively stones. Man, you said the thief comes not but for the steal, to kill, and destroy. You came to give life and that more abundant. Help us to tap into that life and live it. Full assurance, full joy, even in the midst of tears. In Jesus' name.